Affects them, and some people can do something like smoke weed, and it takes it away. Right. Or for others, like it, it, it fucking magnifies it. It makes them go crazy, you know. So it's it's funny. Right Heard there. that. Yeah, I think, I think when people smoke weed and they talk about like having anxiety or the paranoia, I think they're smoking sativa usually, and they usually don't know about the differences of weed, and so they just assume like, oh, if I smoke weed, I, I start to freak out or I get paranoid and shit. You, you know I didn't really start to. Uh even think about all that stuff too much later honestly till like later in your weed smoking days right because until i got educated on weed weed oh, was yeah. weed well that's what i'm saying but i never i never got know. i never got the paranoia it wasn't like oh god because it's you know i live in cali it's pretty much yeah. legal so you know yeah. usually the paranoia is oh somebody's looking at me yeah, or the yeah. cops see me i'm not worried well, you, about that and you know some people the, the paranoia is uh it's more on like a grander scale, like they start thinking about their life and they get like in their head, like, you know, they, in like, no, man, it makes me freak out and like right. self-reflect. I never really had that, but I, I do do that when I'm high sometimes, but I don't think it's a bad thing. It's like self-reflection. It's like, yo, am I a good person? Did I do this good today? Was I good to these people? Was I not? Like I, I analyzed, did I do this job well? Could I have done it better? You know, it, it makes you be critical in a way, which could fuck you up if you think you didn't do good or you were not a good person. Right. But if you were, you're like, nah. It kind of makes you check yourself, which I like. But some people don't want to. They don't want to. They do don't want to check themselves because yeah. they don't. They're not going to like what happens. Exactly. You know what I've always thought, dude. Uh, this is probably the first time I get to share this theory. This little snake, the snake theory. Check it's the like, snake. so you know, dudes are like mm, maybe they work in Wall Street or like some of that big business shit, right? You know what I'm saying? They like to drink. And maybe they do like some blow or some shit and, and whatever and they're fucking selling whatever the fuck they're selling. Maybe it's kind of a shady way they do it but they make money and shit. Like if you're drinking and doing blow and all that shit, sometimes you're not really self-reflective. And those are like some guys, who, I don't want to smoke weed, that's like weird. Because maybe if they did, they'd be like, fuck man, I'm selling these shady stocks and right. this isn't cool. I am a shady person. Shit, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then people who gravitate towards sometimes like the arts or, or social work and shit, Maybe they smoke more weed often. That makes them think about certain things in a way where it makes you want to work in the arts or helping people or just being, you know, I don't know, open to your emotions and checking yourself, looking oh, at yourself. Totally. I don't know. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> yeah, you know. I don't know. It's funny. It's a good It's a good thing. I always thought, like, uh, not like everybody should have to eat mushrooms or do hallucinogens, but I feel like if you, everyone did it at least, like, once... I think it might be a healthy thing. Not crazy, not trip balls, but once, just to kind of like have you like look over things about your life and about shit in general. It might, I don't know. I well, there like, are those studies that are coming out where, you know, they're finding that people that do hallucinogens and, or, you know, LSD and all that other stuff, it's actually beneficial. Yeah, very beneficial. And that's my whole thing. And you know, some people who, who never would try some shit and they don't like it because they never tried. Now you've done some shit and you didn't work out well and you don't like it. That's cool. I get it. But if you've never tried it, I'm like, you're not even curious. Like, I almost like, it's not like I don't trust them, but I don't trust them. I don't trust them. You know what I'm saying? I don't know, that's funny. That, uh, that trustworthy voice, 
on Damaged Goods today is my man Aaron Mercier. Mercier. If whoop, I could say it in such a French uh, accent. He's oh, a nice. fucking uh, guitar tech, a touring guitar tech for, for the stars, for artists like Lamb of God, Stevie Wonder, you fucking name him. He also has Mercier guitars. Uh, you can't hear it, but I just did the fucking, <laughs> I grabbed the shirt. I'm wearing one of his company shirts and I just did it to like show off the logo. So use your ears to visualize that. But he does uh, custom inlays, works on guitars, makes quality custom fucking next level shit. Stuff. Stuff. It's kind of ill. Is it, is it tricky when you're on the road and you're, you're teching and working for all these artists and then you also have a, a business to run? Uh, it's kind of easy for me because it's just me. So, um, and most of my clients know that my priority is to be on the road. So when, you know, things come up or inlays or repairs, it's like, hey, I might not finish this, you for know, X amount of time. for X amount of time because I got to go on the road. And then I don't want to give deadlines because if I'm doing an inlay and I'm thinking, oh, this will take me 10 hours, and then, you know, it turns into 80 hours or something crazy like that. You know, it's yeah. just, it is what it is, and I'm not going to put a product out that doesn't look awesome. Yeah, the uh, your, your integrity and quality is more important to you, right? Right. So do you kind of, like, tell clients and shit, like, okay, right now I can get it done in this amount of time. Um, otherwise, like, if you want it next week, it's going to be possible because I'm going to be in fucking these states for a week or I'm overseas or whatever, right? Usually, yeah. So when a, a job comes across my table, it's okay. Well, I leave, you know, on this date, so I only have X amount of time. Then I gotta go, but I also have to spend time with my lady. Yeah, I gotta spend time, time with my kid, and then I'm Family also time. the uh, the house luthier at Center Staging in Burbank, so I'm there working on guitars. Man. So it's uh, it lot on the plate, dude. It just consumes all my time, but at the same time, I love it. I'm staying busy. That's. That's the beauty of it. When it's some shit you like, it's it's busy and you're fucking busting ass, but you're not dreading going to work every day. No, I love working. Yeah. I love yeah. going to work. I love coming home and working on my stuff. I yeah. love when, you know, tricky repairs come across and fucking fun challenges doing you know, shit I, you like. Then I get to meet all these rad people. Yeah, dude. Fucking travel the world, work with and for all these ill people, make sick ass custom shit, create cool shit. And people have like their their orders, their requests of what they want, right? You like bringing it to life for them, right? You know, like that's kind of that's gotta be gratifying. It is, and it's uh, it's actually really satisfying when people, even just for setups that I do, when they take it, they're like, "Oh man, I didn't think you could play like this." I, was like, <laughs> I can't believe you've been playing with it like and how it's been. It's funny, it's like you know, like guitar techs and stuff like yourself. Um, some people who who are techs in the, the music business, the touring business, some of them are are great guitarists or or great drummers or great bassists, and can play well. And maybe they've had their own bands, wherever. And some are just really good techs. Like, I mean, that's what they've specialized in, tuning, repairs, fixing shit, but they actually couldn't play very well at all. Their, their playing skills are very amateur, but they can play enough to where they can learn how to be a tech very well. And they make sure that I'm gonna be the best fucking tech I can be. And that's like, they specialize in, but they, they don't play very, you know, very well. Actually, there's a lot of techs that <laughs> that's what I'm saying. play like shit, but yeah. you know, they can push the back line in, they can change strings, they, they can stretch they it, they can they know how to do the show. Do right? the, the science. And there's a lot of guys who who can play who can't do half that shit. You know, can't tune even tune their own shit by ear, but they can play like a motherfucker or they couldn't do your gig of teching and shit. It's like a different beast, right? It's a totally different beast. I know uh, I've known guys back in the day that like I don't even know why I would ever pay a tech. That you know, I could just do it all myself. Not if you're on some big fucking tours, dude. And right. Like you, you need somebody there. To right. What happens shit. when you get famous? Then all of a sudden, everybody wants to interview all the time. You yeah. ain't got time to set up. No, and you're you not gonna want to do that. It's like it's a lot of work, dude. I mean, I couldn't imagine 
like John or Willie and dudes you doing shit for like not having somebody on on the level of shows that we're a part of and shit. At that level, you kind of you need it, and then you yeah. know with the changeovers and yeah. and you know they don't want to. Nobody wants to see the artists on stage while we're building. You know that's that, oh yeah 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 that the, that's the, our time. So if, if if they're if they're there building the deck, you know or whatever it is. That kind of sucks when you got them around because you know the yeah, crew yeah. just wants to work. They don't because they'll start you know fiddling with things and you know oh I got to do my little it's guitar like breathing, thing. Breathing down your neck or just kind of standing over standing you, over you or you. you know not really fully understanding stage etiquette. You know go be a rock star when we're ready for you to be a rock yeah, star. Yeah, yeah. Other than that, you know it's true. Piss off. Yeah, I feel like sometimes people like that's a result of people's like um, like a controlling quality or or, or, or a OCD thing or just like an overly inquisitive. Like I want to watch you do every little thing about it, like micromanaging of sorts. Sure, you know. Yeah, yeah. That can... I, I've been guilty of that and different things in my life about being like overly controlling with shit. But I think you got to learn at some point to trust whoever it is that's working with you or for you that what it, with their role, or their skill, they're good at. You got to trust them to do enough. If they do come back with something that's not right, you can offer your thing. But if if you're on top of them, they're not going to do it as well, and they're going to resent you, and you're wasting your energy. Like, yep. you, nobody achieves anything out of that, I feel like. you know. I still treat a lot of stuff like how it was in the military. Which is mm-hmm. like what? Um, for example, it's if I have a mission for you, you know, this is what I need you to get done, I'm not going to tell you how to do it. I'm just going to tell you, this is what needs to be done. This is the result date I need it. Yeah. Go make it happen. And you, you're trusting that you've been trained to carry out said mission. Right? right. And then you guys can handle it, right? Oh, yeah, we got it. Sure, no problem. Okay, well, I'm going to leave and go do paperwork and come back in a couple <laughs> hours, and then I'm going to check up on it. And, you know, if you guys are just dicking about then and not doing anything, in. then I'm going to step in and be like, now I'm going to take control, and I'm going to yeah. tell you exactly how to do it. I but think that's like a, it's an important skill to have. In it life. is. And then it kind of also shows you who has the ability to take the initiative who can think outside point, the box? You, you, good point. You're actually seeing what the level of responsibility they have. Can they work independently? Exactly. Can they work on their own on a on a schedule and achieve a goal? Or do they need someone cracking the fucking whip uh, right behind them? That's right. A good, that's a good point. Or if they just you know if something comes up that I wasn't aware that needed attention and they saw it and like well it just needed attention so I did it. Yeah, and then it shows you like yo this motherfucker's got his eyes out. He's working good. He, maybe like I need to. You know, bump him up or, or take him into deeper consideration. Exactly. Or, like if yeah. you know, we have waivers for promotions. Okay, who's working the hardest? Huh. Personally, I could never give a shit who could do the most push-ups. Yeah. You know, a lot of in the military, it really felt like your status was based off of how many push-ups and sit-ups you could do. You mean like like rank status, like rank, or like the level of respect you had? Both. Because <laughs> it would be, let's say, for example, we're we're both privates, right? And, you know, we're not eligible for promotion for six months, right? But you are eligible for a waiver to get promoted in like three months. What does that mean? Um, it means you can get promoted in, in three months time instead of having to wait the six. If someone signs your waiver. Right. Or... If waivers come up where if there is a need for those ranks oh, within, okay. you know, see. within your, uh, your company. So generally what will happen is they'll look at the soldiers and the first thing they look at is, hey, who is not had any discipline problems, right? Because you don't want to deal yeah, with... Yeah, 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 it's yeah. important because, you know, the guys are going out and getting it's drunk on the weekends. Yeah, it's and, a headache, a liability. Yeah. yeah, I don't want to sit there doing paperwork because you're a screw-up. Um, and then next is always the PT test. Well, how many push-ups and sit-ups did you do? That kind of sucks. I know yeah. a lot of guys that are mid-grade push-up sit-ups, you know, they're still working on it, but they're fantastic soldiers. They're better than all these other things. Right. So those were always my priorities, yeah. which, you know, a lot of people didn't agree with, but whatever. 
kind of seems silly though to like base so much on something like well this guy can do X amount of this so he must be I mean some dudes who, who can do the most push-ups or pull-ups or bench press the most or the biggest doesn't it make him the the strongest dude or the best fighter right nope or, or the guy who clocks in early like we having this conversation earlier off recording like on tour you know you're left up to your own devices as long as you do your job well no one really cares what you do some guys are known like legendary for for partying doing all kinds of drugs this and that they get the job done super well they never fuck up so they're allowed to do the thing and you could be dead fucking sober a guy who doesn't do anything and you fuck up and you get fired so it's like your your work your output and the results really should be dictating you know how well you, you come in on tour at 8 in the morning and be the last one there and up and down but if you ain't doing shit don't really matter yeah if you but, suck at your job you suck <laughs> yeah, at your job you do a million fucking chin ups and push ups but you can't carry out a mission or, or work well with everyone or hold shit down like what the fuck did it matter dude you know exactly I've always subscribed to the like I like working hard don't get it twisted I always work hard no matter what my job is shitty job as a kid like working at a coffee shop to touring doing whatever I work hard because you got to put forth your effort. I have pride. But I've always subscribed to work smarter, not harder. Always. Right? If I could have a job that makes the same amount as another man, or even more, in the same field, but working less hard, it doesn't reflect any poorly on me. It means I'm doing something. I'm still working hard. I'm using my brain working hard, and probably you know your body too, to, to achieve more without having to just just do grunt work but not thinking with the long term and not getting you know any elevation or growth in your in your profession you know exactly I don't know what it like so so for the listeners uh, tell them you were in the military for how long and in what kind of so I was uh, <laughs> I joined right before 9-11 happened right out of high school yeah this is an uh, interesting story would you mind telling them why and okay, yeah, how so, it all went down if you're cool with it yeah yeah totally so uh, I guess I have to backtrack a little bit let's uh, backtrack baby let's right, backtrack right. so <laughs> earlier in my life Wrestling, not like not WWE, not WWE, but collegiate, yeah, freestyle, Greco Roman. That was high my, school shit. That was my life, and I'd started really young. Uh, my dad wrestled, my brother wrestled. Oh, so it was like a family thing. So right? it was a family thing, but for my dad, wrestling was you know something you did after football season. You know, so it was secondary to football. You're saying for him, but for me, all I cared about was wrestling. Okay, yeah, so that was uh, your football. So I just. It was. I did it year round. I would do. I'd work out four times a day. I'd mats in my house. I did all the freestyle and Greco clinics. So I I was going to all the camps over the summers, um, and just hitting it. And then uh, my problem was I didn't really give a shit about school. <laughs> Welcome to the club, I, my friend. I did just enough to stay eligible to wrestle. Oh, uh, in, a, in a collegiate it, level, and well, right. like in high school. Even in high school, yeah, you probably had to keep a certain. You have GPA, to keep a right? certain GPA, yeah. otherwise, you're not allowed to do athletics. So I just did that. Um, but the problem was to go into college, I didn't pass the NCAA clearinghouse. So which is like a which test is for people to play college sports in general. Well, you have to have you have to be someplace academically to be eligible to do varsity level sports. Like they're not gonna let a dude be the captain of the football team and only have a two point oh grade so point I average. I thought there was always like the the stories of like dudes on the football or hockey team who were struggling academically, barely making it, but they were so valuable to the sports team that the school kind of looked the other way. Because they were already in. there. Getting there might be a little bit different. They might have been awesome oh, in high school and had great SAT oh, scores, but once you get to a college level of education, you know it changes. Um, so I was approached by the uh, army recruiters and they were like hey you can wrestle for the army we'll they pay you where? they came to high school uh, well they always come to the high schools is I, that where they encountered you yes um 
I think I might have met him at a wrestling tournament because that's when I heard that you could wrestle for the army. Oh, so they're scouting. Yeah, um, and that you know, hey, you can get paid and do all this other stuff and and train for the Olympics. So I was like stoked. I was like, hell yeah! Went home, told my dad to sign up for the army, and he was not happy. Because is was he a military? General? He was in the navy uh, during Vietnam, but he was. I was supposed to go wrestle for college. You know, he, he had, wanted you to wrestle. He for had, he invested all this time and money into me being some you know badass wrestler. Then I was like, well, I'm just gonna go do the army thing. But did you not understand that you were probably weren't gonna be in the position to wrestle in college because of your oh that's like, academic yeah situation? he knew it. Um, so he was worried like, damn, you're gonna go wrestle in the army, but you're probably not even gonna get to wrestle. He was worried about that. No, it was more of, you know, you need to get a college education versus whatever the Army is going to give you, which I ended up getting my college education through the Army. That's so. why, yeah, I had friends who did the same, joined yeah. for that college education. Uh, so I joined the Army, and uh, right when I got to my unit, 9-11 happened. So this is like, right, this is like summer of 2001. 2001, right? yeah. So you're like, yeah, I'm going to join, I'm going to I'm gonna wrestle, I'm going to do my thing, and then boom, <laughs> fuck, now now I gotta, I'm out. They, and so they were like, oh, you're getting deployed or whatever? Exactly, or? so I do. I ended up being a, a paratrooper and an engineer, so I'd, I signed up to be airborne not even knowing what that meant, because I was like, Jeez. I want to be airborne, what do I what care? What does that even mean? I don't, yeah, even know. I don't care for shit, I'm, I'm going to go wrestle. Um, so I got on jump status and went to airborne school and then uh, ended up at Fort Bragg with 82nd Airborne, which, you know, we're notorious for being a bunch of hard asses. Um, and then they try to scare you when that's you're... That's in fucking Cali, right? No, no, that's in uh, North Carolina. North Carolina. Fort okay. Bragg. I'm tripping. I'm sorry. Yeah, My yeah. geography is uh, absolutely shit. <laughs> Worst fucking subject for me in school. Continue there. Uh, so, yeah, I get to Bragg and uh, they're like, yeah, you're not, you're not wrestling. Your ass is going downrange. That's what they said. Yeah. So, uh, so that means you're basically in like training and then getting dropped out somewhere, deployed somewhere. Essentially, I get there and they're like, "Okay, we're deploying." Have you had you already gone through the um, basic training shit? So I did basic and then my AIT, which I went to school for as a heavy equipment operator. Uh, so bulldozers, graders, scrapers, right. things of that like nature. Construction type, exactly. Um, Skills you could put to use in the real in world. the outside world. Which my dad was like, "If you're going to join the military, at least have a Get job." Some skills, yeah. Um, so with 82nd Airborne, our whole thing was airfield seizures we take over airfields and then that way we can start landing the ground troops and then for the engineers our job was to assess the airfield and then start um fixing craters or just building an airfield out of scratch you know whatever needs to happen to bring in ground troops uh so we did that uh right after the initial invasion we rebuilt kandahar airfield um so so how long have you been in there before they sent you out like three months some shit like that Oh, before I got to Afghanistan? Yeah. Oh, yeah, only maybe, yeah, was maybe three months. I was you know, I was a teenager. Were you fucking, like, scared, nervous? Like, Of course. Because you, you had a whole different game plan sign up, like, oh, dude, I'm fucking going to be I'm going to wrestle. wrestle. I, don't, I don't know any of this so shit. You, no, you know no what I knew about being in the Army? Nothing. So you weren't, like, even gassed up on going, this was all a surprise. You're like, fuck, now I got to go over there. Yeah. I just wanted to slam some dudes on the mat. And then now the I got to go on. slam dudes with Jesus. my rifle. <laughs> And then you you were there for ten years, right, in the army? Yeah. So that uh that that first deployment was six months in, in Iraq, in Afghanistan. Oh, in Afghanistan, I'm tripping, my bad. Um, and then when I got back, they're like, "Okay, you're going to Sapper School, which is like Ranger School, but for engineers. So more emphasis on blowing shit up, like 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 detonating uh, bombs from a distance or some shit like that." No, that's IED. It's more of... Um, I always confuse that with the IUD, the female so, fucking... So I, the, uh, the IED, uh, the um, 
Uh, I'm sorry, EOD, IEDs, which is in the ground. EOD is the explosive ordnance disposal. Um, so they're the ones that go out in the big bomb suits and, you know, and, and try to get rid of it. We, uh, as sappers, it's more of like blowing doors. Like you need to do a blown entry. Okay. So you do that or... Um, you're being followed by the enemy and you want to create a serpentine so you go blow up a bunch of trees around you that fall on the road or oh, okay like Mario Kart style fucking yeah, yeah. Um, smart shit and then tactics and patrolling and how to work in squads and and setting so, up fire bases and all kinds of crap like that so you're over there like the minimum required time is what like 12 13 months in combat yeah uh, no, it's just it's kind of based on your unit. With 82nd Airborne, we did, you know, six to eight month deployments. They weren't that long. Um, dude, that sounds like a fucking long time to it, me. When well, you're talking about when you're first there, it seems like a long time. Yeah, dude, Jesus. Um, and then when we when I left Sapper School, went straight to Iraq for the initial invasion of Iraq, and then that was like seven months, eight months, and then uh, building more airfields. We were in uh, Takam Airfield, and then went to a bunch of other spots. Uh, and then I was like, man, I'm tired of deploying. I'm going to go back to the house. And so I got stationed at Fort Lewis in Washington because I'm originally from Seattle. Oh, shit. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, And then when I get to Fort Lewis, like, oh, yeah, we're deploying, like, really soon. Again? Yeah. Shit. And we're doing long deployments. So when I went with the Triple Nickel, it was no longer building airfields. It's building roads. And we were connecting all the provinces and being forward deployed in front of everybody. So, you know, out in the middle of nowhere with... Taliban all around time, you. Yeah, before nobody else is there. It was craziness. So uh, that was a 13-month deployment, and then uh, I ended up doing another deployment for just about 18 months after that. So when would you have been eligible or allowed to like leave and come home? Like after what period of time uh, initially? My initial gone? enlistment was four years. So when I Wait, so when you signed up, you were like, yo, for, I'm in for four. Yeah. See, I thought that was like some, like, you know, you're talking to a dude who doesn't know shit about the military. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm on the other side of the tracks, per se. Uh, I thought, like, Marine dudes, when they go in, it's like four or five off rip. But I thought if you were in the Army, it would be like 13 months or 12 months minimum if you were, like, in combat or some shit. And then you had the option to come home. I think, if I remember correct, the, correct, the, uh, the absolute minimum is two years. Okay, shit, dude. Because if they're going to spend the money to train you, yeah, 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 put you through school and pay for your education, like college, yeah, they got to get something out of it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but then once you sign up, everybody has to do a minimum of eight years inactive or active. So let's say Wait, you do what? two years, right? You're and you get out, right and now. then you are inactive for at least six more years. So it's like inactive reserves. So if we go to war, they can call you. They out. can call you up if you haven't done the actual years? eight years. Dude, that's great, and that's always been the way that it's been. Mm -hmm. So like, like again, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. In in, in Nam, like when dudes got drafted, go right uh, a platoon, like they take you out there. It was like what 12, 13 months, right? It, every every unit was different. It just it depended on how but back long. Then, was it some shit where like if you did that and didn't want to do any more, you could, and you survived and shit, you could come home after that. Hell no, you no? don't got no choice. So they could keep pulling you back. Hell yes. You could say no, and that's called a conscientious a objector. objector. Right. Even after you served like a tour of duty. Yeah. Okay. And if you didn't want to go a second time, you'd be like, no, fuck you. Then they're like, okay, well, now your ass is you know, going to get kicked out. You know. All times. So, so you did those, I mean, you did more than those eight years. You did eight. I, I did 10. ten. Yep. So you kept it in. So were, you were already into music before this or what? 
I played in bands, but it wasn't like when I was in the army. It wasn't. Oh, I'm gonna go be a guitar tech, or I'm gonna yeah, go yeah, this play in bands. Radar, it right? wasn't on the radar at all. But music was in your life prior to this. You you enjoyed. I music played in an orchestra. I played. Played uh, in an orchestra. Yeah, I played. What did you play? Upright bass. Fucking a, dude. Okay. Yeah, buddy. Fancy. Um, I played in a traveling jazz band at one point. Fuck yeah, dude. Doing like Glenn like Miller big band. Yeah. Oh shit, dude. Uh, so I actually tried to join the army band at one time. Uh, when they I was at a, Fort Lewis, a, a, an army band, mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. But I didn't read music at the time because I had totally forgotten. So that kind of was like a no go. Right there. So, so you're in, you're in there, fucking ten years. Ten years. Yeah. You never, never crossing your mind pursuing music on any level in any facet. No, I was no. planning to do career soldier, twenty five years. You were gonna just stay in the just stay in. I was well. At one point, I started to enjoy it because once you get rank, of course, of course, once you get rank, and then you can start, you know, knife handing fools. How long did it take to get rank? <sighs> See, now I made E five in four or five years. What is E five for, so, for us laymen? Star, a sergeant, three stripes. Oh, so you're a fucking sergeant. Um, a sergeant. It, well, I was a staff sergeant at the end. Staff sergeant. That's so, even better. So uh, I was an E6 when I got out teaching the advanced course out of Fort Leonard Wood. Oh, shit, so I spent dude. my last two years teaching. Oh, shit. That's kind of ill, dude. So you, you like climbed the fucking ranks, dude. Tried to. Yeah, man. So like you get, get all these accolades, you keep climbing up and shit and you're in there and then why did not do that 25 years why did you um, so I had an ex-wife which she wasn't an ex at the time <laughs> oh, man. and she she was like look yeah, either you get choice. out or I'm leaving you because I'm tired of the army telling me what to do and I'm like well the army's not really telling you what to do you can do whatever you want they're telling me what to do yeah if you want to be with me you just kind of got to come along that's um it's like similar, like you know, dudes in in music and traveling, in, like the military, probably even a little more intense. But you're gone. You're gone. You, all you're time, gone yeah. for a long periods of time. You, you're given very demanding uh, tasks that can consume you that are kind of unexplainable to someone who hasn't experienced it. Obviously, military far different than music. But for most people, they can't uh, fathom what even right. music touring's like, let alone what you did. And uh, so it's like you can't make them understand it at all why you want to do it, why you have to do it, the, the fucking restrictions, the regulations, the stress, the strain, none of that shit. None of, it, none of that no. shit's understandable to them and you just do it and shit. <laughs> so anyway, my fault. So, so ultimatum comes and you uh, So yeah, she was <laughs> like, uh, you know, get out or I'll leave you. And um, at that time, Five Finger Death Punch was still doing clubs and I had become friends with Evil J from OTEP when he was still playing bass for her. Um, while I was stationed at Fort Lewis. So when I ended up going to Missouri to Fort Leonard Wood, he went out on tour with Five Finger as their support. I never heard of Death Punch at the time. <laughs> like, what? That happens, though. That happens on the tour and shit. That's a ridiculous band name, but okay. Uh, so I went to go hang with him, and then he was like, oh, you got to come meet Zoltan. He's a cool guy. So he introduced me to Zoe, who loved two things, the military and MMA, and I did both those things. So You did MMA? Yeah. What did it, what, like, uh, which is specific training? Well, just like kickboxing, jujitsu, kickboxing, and wrestling, because I had such a wrestling background. Well, yeah, yeah, I figured that. So you did the kickboxing and jujitsu after wrestling, or later in your life? Later in my life. That's crazy, dude. Once MMA became a big thing. That's wild times. When I was a little kid, I was in like martial art movies. So me and a friend of mine, like, we ended up signing up for like Shaolin Kempo. It was like eight, nine, ten, young. Right. We were sparring, and I think I was like a brown belt. We were into that shit. 
more just because we like watched tons of martial art movies. And by the time I'm like 11 and I'm getting into skateboarding, I'm like, oh, fuck all this shit. I don't mm, want to listen. Nobody telling me what to do. And then in my 20s when I was in New York, I wanted to take some other shit and train. But I didn't really want the... Um, I didn't want the spiritual aspect in a right. weird way. I didn't want geese and belts. I didn't want levels. I wanted something extremely practical, right? I've you know, been in a bunch of crazy situations and I don't think I ever implemented anything I learned in Kempo, right? I mean, you're in crazy fights with guys with guns, fucking bottles cracked in fights, whatever. So I wanted something very uh, practical and I, and I signed up for Krav Maga in New York. And I had this guy, he was um, this Israeli dude. He was in the Mossad for 10 years. He was about five foot eight, but you could just look at his face and you know he'd been somewhere Crazy. else. You know what I'm saying? And we, this was a small class in some like, presumably like a yoga studio somewhere in Manhattan, you know, a hardwood floor place. You know, everybody had to do knuckle push-ups on the hardwood floor, even if you're like the 200 pound fat girl there. <laughs> like, you know, you had a wide range of people, some who wanted exercise, a lot of bouncers, like dudes who had been maybe fucked up for. Oh, then you yeah. had other martial arts dudes. And uh, that was great training for me because it was real practical shit that I could like, you know, use in real life. There wasn't any of that other shit. Crazy workouts. You know, I was in the best shape of my life. But he would do cool shit like take us to like bars and like like public places outside of, of the fucking studio and, and you know, kind of like make us work on, I mean, you can't work on all this in public, but in your mind how you would use the shit we've learned in like this place. So what are you going to do in this bar, this club? Well, you know, you know, these kind of things. They would like, you know, make you close your eyes and someone was going to come yoke you up from behind. Right, what are you going to do? You might wait five seconds, you might wait 34 seconds or a minute. So you never knew, you know, fighting your way in a corner, trying to disarm dudes with knives and guns and then you stomp them and run. That's what they do. You stomp them and run. Very practical. Uh, so I like that. That was my last training. But you can't really, you can't spar too much Krav Maga. No, because so it, much of it's like it's it's yeah. using so momentum and we, force. Yeah, and, we would yeah. spar, but it was very tame. We couldn't get into it. And then I mean, I don't. Does anyone in MMA implement Krav? I mean, Krav Maga. I don't know enough about everyone's fucking. You skill know, sets. I've kind of fallen out with the whole scene after uh, Liddell lost a rampage. Yeah, I mean, it's funny how like we're like I don't know when the MMA was when the um, UFC first came out in the nineties, right? I'm gonna be like young and, and we were into all the ones where it was more like everyone's specialty was still there. It hadn't been such much cross training. Right. So it was it was very much like karate yeah, yeah, versus yeah. jujitsu. Shamrock and then uh fucking what's the other dude? Like the Hoist Gracie and then there's like the big Tank Abbott and they all mm -hmm. like special things, which I kinda like. It was like watching uh kick uh not kickboxing, blood sport. Oh yeah. Like different skill sets, but you would see what would always prevail and usually it was like fucking Brazilian jiu Yeah, because it's the it's chess masters those guys. Realistic. And now everyone has like a crossbreed of, of, of skills and shit, you know, so not everyone's got that special thing. Oh yeah, oh, that's interesting shit, dude. That's cool. I didn't know you trained. Mm -hmm. God damn, that's why no one will fuck with you. That's why you're very humble, dude. Aaron's a very humble dude, and I think it. I would attribute that to a your freaking crazy combat experience, and also MMA. I think when people have gone through really intense things, or like had you know you've been punched in the face from MMA a couple of times, or in God forbid the crazy shit you saw in the army, you're like a little more humble. You're not as puffed up and shit, and uh, it's the guys who aren't. Like that, who are always like, are like aggro and oh, super aggro, yeah. yeah, you know, like everyone's always like, oh, I'm worried. Like you go to a bar and you get in a fight with an MMA dude, you don't even know he's an MMA dude and he'll fuck you up, which is true. But Very usually, true. like those dudes aren't the dudes. They're not the ones trying to fight shit at all, especially if they're taking their career serious. You ain't trying to fucking hurt yourself no. out there, you know. And you can get trouble for fighting in the street. Oh hell yeah, dude! I mean, you, you ruin your career, ruin your body, and you hurt yourself. 
You know, even like athletes, even if you're like a football, basketball player, like you mm-hmm. can't go out and do dumb shit, get drunk and fucking twist your ankle doing some stupid shit or shoot yourself in the fucking leg with your gun. You know, like you got to take care of your body, dude. And that stupid shit happens. It, dude, it happens all the time. Lot. It happens a lot, dude. It's fucking gnarly. I mean, out here on, on, the, on the touring world doing music shit, you know, I mean, no one's really doing stupid shit like that, but you know, you have to just go out and get fucked up and some people get in, you know, altercations and fights, whether it's at a show or... You know, after any party after bar, party or some shit, and that's normal shit. Like you know, happens. Dudes get crazy. But if my job was like, be a fighter or or um, an athlete, I would treat my body as like the most important thing. I'd be scared to do anything really, other than that shit. Just know? train, and then and then that's it. Exactly. Yeah. Like you know, I wouldn't want to like, you're a fucking professional basketball player, and you hurt your ankle fucking skateboarding. You'd feel like a dick. You know what I'm saying? Like, and you're, and everyone, you're coach, you're probably getting some shit or, or MMA fighter or whatever. You, know? you probably would. It's funny shit, dude. That's More crazy shit. So when you, when you came out of the army, how... How did I transition yeah, into this? How, and how like quickly did that transition take uh, place? So when, back to my story with yeah, yeah. Jay and Zoe. So when I met Zoe, he was like, here's, you know, give me your number. I'll you know text you. We can hang out when we're around. I'm like, you'll never... Call me. I don't even know who you are, really. And, and you're a rock star. He, he knew you like worked on just, guitars and shit. No, I hadn't done that yet. So I'm literally just. So you uh, only play. You only know how to I, play. And I only played very little. I played my bass and upright, but I hadn't played in years. You know, really? when I joined the army, that kind of took over everything. You never had downtime to fuck around and play. Do oh, I did, but not there? like I played in a band in Afghanistan and we would jam. But you know, it's it's not pro level stuff. You know, it's combo amps. I don't know yeah, dick yeah. about setups. I don't know the differences in string types, gauges, none of that. So uh, when I met Zoe, he was like, well, just come out to shows. So I started coming to shows. Um, so like, were you like on stage watching them work? No, not really. It was more of I was hanging out on the bus with the band guys. Um, and then they would go to do the, the show. And I would get taken side stage and then you know watch the show, then leave. Um, and then... It was about a couple months after that first gig of seeing Zoe where he was like, hey, we're doing Mayhem Fest on the main stage of this year. Do you want to come be our t-shirt cannon guy? Oh, <laughs> that's crazy. Uh, I was still active duty army. So luckily I had a break between students because I was teaching the advanced course and I took 45 days leave and went on Mayhem Fest. And they were cool. They were like, yeah. Like, well, totally. I made I made leave. 20. Yeah. I mean, I have the leave. It was saved up. Oh, so, so yeah, you've, you earned it and shit. So they can't like fucking. So, I mean, they could totally deny it because they have all the say they want, but they were looking forward to kind of get me out of the academy because they were bringing in my replacement, and I was a sore thumb because I was heavily tattooed in the Army, too. Is that not cool in the Army? Well, I mean, if you're, you're, if you're heavily tattooed and it doesn't show in your uniform, they don't care. But the problem was, in 2006, when I was coming back from a deployment in Afghanistan, the Army Times, I read how they changed the regs to bring in more troops because the retention was really low. People were getting out and there's not enough people yeah. in. And so all the guys that were wanting to come in with tattoos on their hands and neck, as yeah, long as it, say, yeah. as long as it wasn't offensive, okay, it was, yeah. it was ruled okay. But human resources didn't word it correctly. So it was like spread across the army. It wasn't just for incoming personnel. So I went to the appropriate people and was like, Hey, am I reading this right? Can I go get my hands and neck done? They're like, yeah, but we wouldn't advise it. I'm like, okay, well, as long as it's allowed, that's all I care about. So funny, pretty man. much the weekend we got home off that deployment. That's weird, man. In, I went and in did a, it. In a, it's not like a job, I would say, but in any organization, 
if it's something where you know getting people to come join or work for you might be a challenge or, or you need quality candidates uh, but maybe there's not a lot of them I feel like you would care less about superficial uh, aesthetic things as long I mean obviously I get you some offensive crazy shit on your face you're representing a country's governmental fucking sect but you know you'd you'd want the best candidates regardless right you, especially if you don't have tons of motherfuckers trying to come at and join your shit you know like I see cops with like tattoos now oh, yeah, it's, not like it's, face it's, tattoos and shit but they need candidates you know and, and I can imagine in the military they need people wanting to join there's no draft so you know you need people regardless of and I, everybody I know that's been in the military in any facet has fucking tattoos well back in the day it was taboo you know, for a long time, you saw somebody with tattoos, you assumed they were just a criminal. You know, it, it has... Although, dude, wasn't it a thing like in the Navy back in the day? They'd get like a little... Well, they'd get tattoos. Navy tattoos yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. that. But that was like, you know, different different but yeah, symbols meant different things. Shit, you know? But, you know, I'm, I remember when I first started getting sleeved out, it, you know, little old ladies would hold their purses tighter. Oh, it's dude, a generation thing. Bro, my grandmother's like, you know, I'm from Poland and shit. So I got my first tattoos when I was like 17. But they were all like upper shoulder shit, so you couldn't see them. And then I must have been like 19, which was only two years later, and I'm probably only like four or five. And we're hanging out in my mother's house, and uh, I think one of my teacher's sleeves like moved up a little, and she saw this thing. And my mother has tattoos. This is not her daughter. This is my, you know, these are my grandparents in law, whatever. Right. And she sees this thing, and she like rolls my sleeve up when there's a two on that arm, then she goes to the other one. She started licking her thumb and like rubbing it, hoping it's like a fucking henna tattoo right. or a marker, and she's fucking freaking out. And my <laughs> grandfather's over there laughing because he, he was Polish like off the boat, but he dropped out of high school to join the army to go fight the Germans, even though they sent him to like North Africa in the right. Navy in like a, in a submarine. But anyway, he had like a Navy tattoo, but you know, it's whatever. She's seeing my shit freaking out because where they lived in Springfield, Mass., uh, not the greatest city and like a lot of Latin kings and gang shit and tattoos. So she's thinking, oh God. Prison and, culture. Yeah, and my mother already had a couple of tattoos and she's like, oh God, you know, and they didn't, you know, at the time they weren't getting along. So it was like, they thought I was like the fucking devil incarnate. And I'm the oldest male grandchild on that side. But my older female cousin had some tattoos they didn't know about yet. But once they found mine, now and then she was like, oh, I can, you know, come out. And then my little cousins were like, whoa, get tattoos now, Jake. Break, get break the fucking move. But yeah, I, they were fucking, they thought I was like, my grandma would jokingly, maybe not jokingly, for years, like mail me like tattoo removal fucking catalogs. <laughs> I'm like, that hurts way worse, like a hundred times worse, costs more money and <laughs> takes more time. Yep. Fuck that. You know, so you guys can't see Aaron. You look at the pictures, uh, you know, on the, all the fucking sites, you'll listen to this. He has a lot of tattoos, even more than I do. I'm lucky, and I had to answer this again the other night at one of the shows in like Birmingham. I have no tattoos I regret. I got my sleeves, my chest, my stomach, my back. Not a single one I regret. I'm sure some I wished were done a little better. Maybe the artist wasn't great at the time, or you know he went too deep or whatever, but I don't regret any of them. I've never covered something up. I've, I've fixed ones, but I've never uh, been like, fuck, this is stupid, let me cover it. Do you, and Aaron's got a shitload. Do you have anything that ever, or even if you fixed it already, were you ever like, fuck, like this no more. Uh, no, not really. Everything kind of tells a story. Well, even some stuff doesn't tell a story. It's more sometimes just nonsense. It's, it's, it's placeholders sometimes, and some things have deep meaning, and some just kind of work out. I have maybe three or four that have meaning. The rest of it's just kind of, let's but do something never, silly. You never look at them and be like, you know what, dude? Fuck, I wish I didn't do that. Um, I never have. I'm super lucky. 
No, not really. I mean, I guess the most obnoxious thing is, is I have cowboy tattooed on me in like three different spots. Like the word cowboy? Like the word cowboy. Why is that? And then I have Spurs tattooed right there. You're from And then uh, it Washington says cowboy. State. I know. I mean, not that, not that you, you know, I'm saying I'm just that isn't usually known as a cowboy region. No, it's not. Well, no, they do in like. Uh, they have cowboys in Washington State. Oh, yeah, for sure. Shit. Yeah. I guess that um, geography sucks. So, so what, is the, what is the. The whole cowboy thing, thing started where. Uh, I was at a wrestling camp in high school, and our team captain was wearing a cowboy hat, and he was getting all the like attention. Dallas Cowboys? No, no, just just just, just a cowboy oh, hat. Cowboy hat. Cowboy hat. Jake, you fucking retard. Sorry. <laughs> and he was getting all this extra attention from girls. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? So I just randomly started dressing like a cowboy to get some, some to get girls. That's fucking funny because I wouldn't. Well, I grew up in the Northeast. You never seen cowboy hats, and if someone did have one on, you're like, "This fucking." Weirdo. Oh, I stood out like a sore thumb. I'm from Bellevue, Washington. It's Hilarious. right outside Seattle. Like, it's not a normal thing. But uh, when I do stuff, I go 150 percent in. So I, you know, I had <laughs> the boots. I had. Oh, the, you did the you Wranglers. The you ever and, ridden a horse before? Oh yeah, lots of times. In where? Oh uh, well, they have. You know, you can do uh, like little farms. They'll have horses. Nothing like crazy. No, oh, yeah. Um, and then I end up meeting this group of people that would go to this like what country dance place every Friday and Saturday. Never been to one of those. I had a lot of fun. Lots really? of chicks. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, dude, like I've never worked country concerts, but I've I've been and I've seen them and heard the stories. And uh, there is an crazy, insane amount of attractive, wild, like white country girls who go to those shows and shit. And there's like the, I, I'm assuming that's the same in those country bars. Yeah. I've never, like I said, I've never been. Probably never will go. Maybe I should, for the fuck of it, like going to the zoo just to see what's up. <laughs> but uh, go people watching. But I mean, yeah, dude, there's some fly ass girls who go to those kind of shows and shit. Yeah, um, that's wild times. So yeah, I did that, and then uh, so that was like my senior year in high school. I went from being a diehard skater and wrestler to a cowboy and a wrestler. So like, what do you do to like, like are cowboys? Even, like, I guess cowboys can still be cowboys, but those are the dudes like doing the fucking rodeos and like right. So I started going to rodeos and eight seconds style. uh, Yeah, when I got to uh, Fort Bragg, I met this other guy named Haas, and he's like, "Hey, Haas, Haas, cowboy name for sure." H double A S Haas, hilarious. Um, and he was like, "Hey, I go bull riding every weekend if you want to come along." So there was this place in Hope Mills, North Carolina. You can pay twenty bucks and ride three different bulls, and they had everything from professional PBR bulls to novice die. Yeah. That's scary as fuck. So uh, I started going with him and doing that. Um, scary. You weren't scared. Of, I mean, granted, you're a dude who did 10 years in fucking combat, but like that seems almost scarier to me, riding the fucking bull than going... I was riding the novice bulls. It was whatever. I ain't trying to get up on those big PBR I've, bulls. I just watched the videos. I mean, I don't watch. I've seen the videos. These dudes get fucking chucked and kicked and beat the fuck up out of that shit. It looks fucking not that much fun. Well, probably not. But the odds seem like you're going to get fucked up more often than not. But maybe I don't know. I guess it just kind of depends on what kind of rider you are. You know, if you've taken the time to learn the different kinds of ties you do with your hand, how to, you know, sit over top of your body and, and, you know, how to properly hold with your legs. You are a cowboy, dude. (laughs) It's funny. On Aaron's crew for Lamb of God, there's a gentleman whose nickname is Cowboy. And he's like a a Texan. He, he, you know, sound like a cowboy, but you actually might be more of a real cat. That's what he says. It's really funny. That's fucking crazy. I mean, I've ridden horses as a kid in, in the Caribbean and in a couple of other places and shit. Um, I had an aunt who rode horses, so she, you know, I went out a few times. Nothing crazy, you know what I'm saying, but just sitting on that shit or whatever. But I could never fathom riding a fucking... 
I won't even ride those mechanical bulls at fucking <laughs> bars. I've seen fucking like frat boys and stupid ass girls like break their arms drunk on those oh, things. Yeah. And I'm, I don't even like going to those bars, let alone, I would, you couldn't pay me to jump on that mechanical bull. Mainly because it looks, I would look like a fucking loser. Not that it's dangerous, more that I, I'm too cool for school in some regards. Right. I, I couldn't swallow my pride enough to jump on a mechanical bull. I think a lot of it was also boredom because I was under 21 when I was there. I was, you know, a teenager okay, when I first joined the army, and you know what there's to do around Fort Bragg if you're under 21? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. Sure. So you can either go chase jumps and try to get. A, so uh, on the weekends there'll be units jumping. So you jumping. Know, what is that? Out, out of a plane. You oh, know, doing jumps. Some, you know, you're parachuting the whole bit. You've, you've jumped out of a plane with a parachute before? I'm a paratrooper. Fucking shit. See, you got to teach me some of these words. That's crazy <laughs> times. Uh, so That's you could either go chase jumps and try to get on their manifest and get your your. Um, you know, your jump catalog built, or you could find something else to do. So I would either chase jumps or I would go ride bulls with my buddy Haas. See, both of those things sound like extremely intense adrenaline rushes. And I'm sure being in combat is a whole nother level of an adrenaline rush that you're maybe not even processing at the time. So like you 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 do music, right? You tour, and then your your company, you know, making custom shit and inlays. It's probably, you know, part of me for saying, it's probably lower on the level of adrenaline rushes you get. I mean, touring as a guitar tech, a little more of an adrenaline rush. You work all day. You have a big sh show. That's the show time. You got to be the most on point of the day. And then it's over and you're like, woo, we had a good one or, you know, whatever. And then maybe doing inlays a little less of an adrenaline rush. But like, was it tricky for you coming from all these things that probably provided all this intense adrenaline just, I mean, not that touring isn't, but I mean, I feel like it's almost like going down a little bit in in, in terms of ad adrenaline energy. And do you you understand what I'm saying? Oh, Am I making you, myself? Oh, absolutely. It's you can never find anything adrenaline wise that can replicate the feeling you get the first time you get shot at. Well, I mean, I've been I, I've been shot at twice, but not. In war, right? Just on some street shit, and that was like, intense and scary. But you're in a situation where that's the fucking norm, and that's got to be intense for you. Or you're, you know, you're taking IEDs, and dudes are waking. Up, hey, we got to go get to the bunker. You know, we're taking IEDs, we're taking mortars, and you're just like, you know what? I don't care. I'm just gonna sleep. Is it an adrenaline rush, like during it, or is it afterwards? You were like, whoo, we just got to survive that. Like, Both. Both. Yeah. You can, you know, it's it's while it's happening, it's your heart's pumping, you you you're you know, sometimes my, my back would lock up just from it being so intense. Fuck. And then, you know, afterwards like, you know, it could take a day or two just to come just down. Just to come down, dude. That's yo, when I used to do music and I'd perform on stage, the, the, the high from that was more than any substance could provide. And it would like I would have if I didn't have shows back to back, I I, I had a come down, a crash. Like I would get depressed. You know, I would do the show. We wouldn't get... I personally would try not to let anyone in the band get fucked up too much before. You have right. like one shot, smoke a little. But afterwards, you know, celebrate. Maybe you're selling merch. You're hanging out, talking to girls, taking photos, whatever it is. I didn't want to like leave the venues until we had to because I wanted to keep feeling that Keep high, absorbing that, right? yeah. And, and, and like, you'll get another show the next night. It was awesome. But if we didn't have a show for like a week... I would hit like this lull, this low, like fuck. You know, studio is different. You're creating, you're writing, you're recording. It's a, it scratches a different itch. But that adrenaline rush was the the best high ever. And then not having that, like the the next day was was tough. So like in combat, if you had a crazy moment, like that, some terribly scary shit, when you would go home, 
or uh, what, is, what do they call it when you come back? You go back to the, your hooch. Okay. So like when you would do that or even go to like the, the compound or the base out there but away from combat, did you ever have like a, a, like a come down? Like, like, fuck, I wish I was still feeling that feeling kind of thing? Sure. Yeah. Yeah? Absolutely. Because it's a whole other feeling that a lot of people just don't experience that. Um, gnarly. And a lot of the times it was always, it, it didn't even go away because uh, at least with engineers, you know, we're forward pushed, you know, we're not sitting in the big fobs, you know, like Kandahar is a big base, right? There's lots of infrastructure security. There's a lot of people there. As engineers, you know, there were times where I was spending months with 30 dudes out yeah. in the middle of nowhere, you know, pushing up little berms for security and then, and that was it. So realistically, if you know, You'd the, rather the, have the enemy wanted to take rest. us over, you were kind of hope not hoping, but you you welcomed it because it broke up the the boredom or the mundane. No, it wasn't that I was welcoming it. It was just always there because at oh. any one time, yeah. you know, if some dude Ever wanted present, to come run yeah. to our tent and throw a grenade, so yeah, you should never fully relax. So you, that, you can never that, fully relax. Yeah, that adrenaline is at a constant in a sense, right? Yeah, you're kind of always up. It's, up you're like always this. there. It's not you don't really get that come down until you're stateside. Yeah, yeah. Like, until you get clear, off the plane. And then you're stepping on U.S. soil, and you're like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, that was there's, a long one. No peace. I have a lot of friends, you know, I grew up with. I have, I have some friends who, you know, did what you did, join the army, and they like come home, and they had a transition into becoming firefighters. None of me actually wanted to be cops, but they went to be firefighters. I have a lot of friends who also grew up in the same situation. And instead of like, you know, trying to go for education and join the army, they stayed in the streets, you know, living mm -hmm. on the other side of things, and. You know, they, they received a different level of PTSD, but still the same from, you know, being shot at, maybe shooting someone, evading the cops, going to prison, constantly worried about, is someone going to kick down my door to, to rob me for these drugs? Or is the cops kicking my door? Did some friend of mine snitch on me? It was a constant level of, of, of paranoia, anxiety, and what have you. They, they could never fully rest. Then they sometimes, like, you know, dudes go on a vacation, or they travel, come to California, go to Puerto Rico, go to whatever. And it was interesting to see them for those, like, the first couple of days it took a little while, but like that third, fourth day when they're like, Whew. like they actually got to relax and breathe because right. they never got to do and that. And all of a sudden their body's not as tense. Yeah, like and, and physically yeah, I you would see, see that. See it physically. physically that now they're wearing sandals and short. They're like fucking breathing different, you know. And they and they would be like vocalizing like, oh wow, like you know, like you could actually be safe right now because even when you're at home, even you're in your fucking safe quarters or wherever you think you can never really relax because you never know. Yeah, and uh, that's the funniest shit. Um, something that like I was thinking about this the other night I was on Aaron's bus on Lamb of God or maybe maybe you were on my bus I don't know what it edit with it a couple nights ago and uh, in the music world and shit like especially in the touring side of things there is a lot of dudes who have who've served right you know what I'm saying and there's dudes who have been on the other side completely other side of things and uh, you know I know dudes who serve and like we hang out and it's all cool and there's like a different um there's like different energies and attitudes with some of those dudes coming from where they come from. Like some are real patriotic, some are real gun ho, some are real like fuck it, like I don't care anymore. I did that. I just do music now and I don't even take it serious because that was crazy. Some dudes are like still super fucking whatever. And uh something I like always admired about you and I thought was interesting is you're a dude who served a long time, even more than a lot of dudes I've encountered, right? Some dudes are Marines, some dudes are fucking Navy, whatever they are. You served quite a long time, and, mm -hmm. and you served in combat. And I know some dudes who you know served less time than some of these other guys, but it was in combat or whatever. And uh, I don't know how to like say this 
any other way. So please, you know, don't fucking <laughs> misconstrue this. So I'm just gonna kind of try to say it. You know, like you you've got this demeanor about you. You're like a pretty cool cat. You're like laid back and chill. And um, I don't know, your outlook and perspective on life and the world is, it doesn't seem to be the same that a lot of dudes who have served that I, I know in, in, in music. A couple dudes, but you have like a real chill demeanor. You're cool. You're like open-minded. You're, I feel like some people might meet you and have no idea that you had all this experience in the military Most and combat, people don't. right? And the other dudes who have, they're, they let you know. They're very vocal, right? They, they wear it on their sleeve and, and, and things like that. And they, maybe they talk about it more or they want to name drop it. To, hey, remember I am a Marine. Do you remember that? Oh, I'm a Marine, oh, just so you know, right? They always let you know. Like I, you, I never knew that from you until like way later. I think someone else even mentioned it. And then you would talk about it only when it was the topic at hand. And probably, honestly, you probably had seen more shit and crazier shit since some of the dudes who, who talk about it more. You know what I'm saying? But you don't, don't I don't want to take don't take offense to this right sometimes I I like dudes in the military kids you join minus like a couple kids I grew up with you know didn't know what to do with their life and shit like some dudes like you know they're real fucking they want to get crazy they want to get gun ho or they're real prideful and they're real combative and aggressive in, in, in all like parts of their life you don't seem to have those qualities in your character you seem like real cool and open minded and, and chill like not to say it hasn't fucked with you. I'm sure your experiences have been fucking nuts. Yeah. Like, I can't even fathom that shit. You know what I'm saying? But you carry yourself pretty well for a gentleman who has gone through that. And you're not like a super gun-ho, army dude, wilding out, fucking, I don't know, uh, crazy dude. Yeah, so uh, anyway, my point is, I guess you don't carry the uh, stereotypical characteristics of some dudes who've served and shit you're not I don't know you're not shoving it down dude's throat and you're like a chill cool open minded dude you seem like a peaceful dude you know uh, what I'm saying I like to be zen yeah um yeah I don't know it's uh I guess a lot of it comes from uh you know when you're when you're in combat you learn to appreciate everything that you have back home and didn't even think of uh so there's there's that aspect of it and then I don't know. I kind of feel like talking about my military experience to everyone that would listen is like name dropping. Yeah, that's, right? that's, uh, yeah. I, I, I like look at me. I, I feel I that way and, you when know. dudes do that. But granted, I'm not from that realm, so maybe I shouldn't weigh in on that. But I do feel like that's kind of what dudes do. That's totally it's what like they do. A, it's like you know they're looking thing. for you know sympathy or empathy or, or just a, or or a like discount their, their, or uh, they want to be, yeah. yeah you know it's I was huffing a and puffing yeah I know it's it's totally <laughs> huffing puffing it's the dog, it's the dog and pony show and usually I find it's dudes who haven't had maybe the experience you have you know yeah, the, like I, one of my good friends who did have some combat shit you don't talk about it and we don't ask him he never talks you know but some of the other dudes with less of experience in that talk a lot more about it. A lot of it's because they only have a, a little bit of experience. You know, they, they went to combat for three months and maybe saw action once. Or yeah. they went to combat for six months, sat on some base the whole time, and the worst that they ever saw was an incoming mortar that hit on the other yeah. side of the base. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've always felt that, you know, my, my military experience, it, it did mold me to, you know, what I am. Um, and it's definitely helped with my career, but I've discovered that most civilians, they're like, okay, cool, you know, 
I'm glad you serve, but I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can't. They can't relate to it. They can't relate, or you know, no, you, you use jargon that they don't understand. You know, there's yeah. a lot of times where you know I'll be talking to some Marines and they're using Marine jargon, and I, it's a different like, I don't thing. know. I don't know what you guys are talking about. You know, I mean, that's it, even in like music shit. Like you know, there's music jargon that you talk to some people. Yeah, they don't know what don't you're saying. Music. Yeah, oh, they oh. they have no idea. And even within different like you know. Record like if you talk to recording artists and, and tracking engineers and mixing engineers, there's jargon that we never hear on the road. And and the same shit like tour shit, they wouldn't have no it's vice idea. versa. It's yeah. like it's like learning to speak a whole new language. It when is. I first got in the industry, and I did my first tour as the T-shirt cannon guy for Five Finger, it was, you know, a big learning curve. Because yeah. like what are, what are they saying? What are these? I don't know what you guys things? are talking about. You know, it's. I remember my before my first tour, a friend of mine who helped get me my gig, you know, and I I toured. Is a musician myself, but we're small clubs. We're we're driving in vans. It's not like van tour. touring with like we do. Yeah. yeah, like it's different shit. And before my first like real tour, working as a as a crew dude, my boy hit me too. He's like, look, this is gonna be some of the slang you're gonna hear. This is how you should talk on the radio. He's like, you don't know all this shit. Just act like you do. Let me tell you as much as I can, and it'll make your transition easier, and it'll make these dudes. Uh, nicer, cooler, easier Fake to work it with. Fake until you make it. Oh, exactly. And so I had to like learn the words. I had to, he taught me a bunch of slang, how to like do shit, like what, you know, protocol is in the venues. And there's a bunch of shit I still learned on the road that he couldn't have taught me. That you only learn over the years. Right. You know? I'm still learning. <laughs> yeah. And we, every day. Every, every day. day. And that's, yo, the smartest master remains a student. You always got to be humble and learn. Got to like, stay thirsty know? for knowledge. No matter how many gigs you do, uh, how many shows, even if you've been to the same venue with the same artists and shit, Shit can come up that you never have had to deal with or, or haven't had to deal with in a certain element and, and it's that's humbling in itself and it keeps you sharp, you know? It does keep you sharp. I mean, really, you know, I'm not getting paid to tune guitars. I'm getting paid to troubleshoot problems when they arise. Yeah, yeah. And, and make sure the show is, that goes down. Right? And make sure the show runs smoothly. But, um, yeah, it's just... It's, you kind of learn to, to roll with it, but I definitely remember it being a big learning curve. It's funny. And, and getting made fun of because, yeah. you know, I, instead of saying, you know, I, Bukuki, I was saying like Kabuki. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny, it's like, like you said, fake it to make it. You kind of, you might be faking it to make it and, and they think you do know because they're like, you said the right things. They're like, yeah, yeah. But in your head, you're like, oh, shit, I, I got to get on YouTube shit. and look on how yeah. that works. I don't even know what I'm saying, but they think <laughs> I know. So I'm going to keep going along with it, you know, and, and you're just kind of doing it just to keep relations cool. Yeah, and then eventually you do learn these things and you do experience them. So then it becomes more sincere and shit, you know. Yep, yep. That's there funny. was times where you know someone would be like, "Hey, man, I got this gig for you, but you know you got to know fractal." Oh yeah, sure, no problem. And then I get off the phone and I call the homie and I'm like, "Hey, what's a fractal?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no idea what the fuck. I that don't is. know what that means. I've done that too. Be like, "Hey, what?" Are, and it's not even something that might pertain to my job, but I just want to know what it is. I'm like, "Hey, what is that thing?" You know. Yep. And some dudes are cool. I what I I was lucky. I had some older cool dudes uh, on the road on some of my first tours. Who knew it was my first one, but they were cool. They liked me, and they were, you know, always like, you know, I could ask them a question. They were cool. They weren't like out me, or they would put me on a little things before someone else was like, hey, when we, you know, you got to do this. This is a bus etiquette, or this is a something etiquette, or whatever, and just taught me that shit like really early, and would pull me aside so I could, I could put it into motion in front of everyone else. But I learned on the low, so it was cool. You know, it wasn't, I had a homie like that. My, uh, it's nice if you get when that. I was with Death Punch, Lee Hollister, who was uh, he's with the Dead Daisies now, mm. but he was with Five Finger for a long time at Zoe's Tech. Um, so he would take me under his wing and be like, "Hey, man, you really can't bring like thirty of your friends yeah, backstage yeah. using All kinds your of Lammy. things like, like that." What do you mean I can't? Or you know, hiding beer underneath the drum riser for myself? Or, yeah. Um, you know, just name dropping the band at any opportunity. Oh yeah, I yeah. Had. Like, 
laminate things. I'm like I've seen. I granted, like I never did this, but I've seen dudes who are on their first or second tour where take a picture Is of their fucking laminate, oh. little amateur things and, and shit that I never even thought think of. Think of but now, I'm you're jeopardizing the whole yeah. fucking tour. Yeah, we've seen that. You know, or like just the way people, the way you got to be on a bus. The way you gotta roll with certain, you know, punches and shit, and just deal with that shit. And uh, you, if you, if you guy who learn, learns on your feet, learn quick, you adapt faster, and that's how you last. And I'm sure that's like that in every. It's just like that in job. every profession, yeah. you know. Just like in the military, you, you know, sure. if you're the new guy, keep your mouth shut. Yeah. You don't know dick. Yeah, dude. Listening is the move, and not talking. Is you don't have an opinion. I'll give always, you your opinion. Always better to have your mouth shut and your ears open, even if you're a veteran of anything, because you're still learning, and that way you're never like putting yourself out there looking silly don't want to look silly yeah. one of my biggest issues when I first started in this industry because um, I came right into it it was the yeah, day no. I got out of my, the army got my DD-214 that's so crazy too you had no they were like transition. hey get to Oklahoma we'll see well they after I did Mayhem the guys in Death Punch were like hey as soon as you get out of the army you know you got a job with us no matter what that's we'll find something sweet. for you to do that's sweet um, so when the time came up and it was either you know re-enlist again or what am I going to do they were like hey come work for us we'll, we'll do it so they were true to their word, and the day I got out, they're like, hey, see you in Oklahoma tomorrow. Can you get there? Uh, so I took my bike. What did you guys play in Oklahoma that day? The zoo. Oh, the fucking, the worst, one of the worst Blah. venues in the fucking um, States. And then, uh, yeah, I was with them for a number of years, and then, uh, not even really a number of years, a year maybe. Uh, a year touring feels like a number of years. It feels like years. And then we were in Hawaii with Corn, and that's when uh, I was sitting. What year is this, roughly? <sighs> 2013, maybe okay. 2012. Oh, so not, not too far ago. No, it was right when Five Fingers started to get big, um, like really big. So uh, they were, I think they were going to stop touring to record American Capitalist, and it was right before that where Jason Hook was like, "Man, I would love to have a tech who could shape and polish frets uh, and do so all the science." Did you already have those skills? No, when I was with them, I, I didn't know that. anything. They literally were like, "Hey, you're now the guitar tech," and I'm like, "I don't even know what that." means what do you need me to do and and they're okay just make it happen and you know it, it was uh, a learning experience to say the least when did you get those the those skills crafting skills so, of, of doing inlays and guitar repair and like in, in putting that craft work to, to right use. so when when they when they stopped touring uh to record i decided to go find a guitar luthier school which they had the they, musicians for, institute for, for the the cats out there who don't know what is it like oh uh, so an instrument it. someone who builds instruments from scratch so you're you know take a block of wood and you envision what you're going to make and you get a piece of white chalkboard and you get down to business get down to business so uh the musicians institute in hollywood has a great program called the gca guitar craft academy uh so i did that and that was a number of months and then if you pass that you could take the acoustic course where you learn to build acoustics which is crazy so you do that but you know they would emphasize hey a lot of your money is not going to be coming from building it's becoming it's going to be repairs yeah you know, you can't charge three, four thousand dollars for a guitar unless you have a name, or unless you have a name, right? and yeah. and you know you got you know the the capabilities and and the machines to make it happen. That's probably expensive equipment. It's super expensive. You know, it's a minimum to get a good shop going. It's going to cost you a couple grand for if you want good stuff. Yeah. Um. So I did the guitar craft program, and it was awesome. Um. Inlays weren't a big part of it, but we had on Saturdays was What's optional. It? I don't even mean to cut you off again. Inlays yeah, are, are like the, the markers you would see on a fingerboard, you know, that tells you the positions or, you know, people do elaborate inlays where you'll see, you know, like dragons. This and, is on a guitar he's talking about. Right. So the stuff you'll see put into to fingerboards on guitars. So 
Um, that wasn't like something I was really but like, oh, I'm good. I'd be really good at that. But, you know, it wasn't even a thought during when I was going through GCA. And then we had this guy named Ron Thorne from Thorne Custom Inlays come in and do a four-hour block of instruction on a Saturday. Um, and I felt it wasn't enough time. So yeah, I went and sought him First out. Knowledge right, I wanted to know more. So I went to his shop uh, and was like, hey, can you, know, can you show me more? Can I be an apprentice or something? He's like, I don't really need that. But if you want to bring in projects and just work on them here, I'll coach you. That's so I just started bringing all my own shit in and be like, I just gonna That's make that stuff. Ambition though, that's that yeah. ill-ass ambition. You know, going the extra mile. Constantly bugging him. Hey, how do I do this? I don't understand how this works. You know, what would work great here? And and he's you know one of the best. He does the Fender custom shop stuff. He does the Ibanez custom stuff. So he's he's an amazing guy when it comes to that. But he would not show me how to use a CNC machine. He's like, you're Why gonna learn that? by hand. Oh, oh got, he wanted you to learn the old-fashioned way. Learn the old-fashioned way with a jeweler saw, which probably is still good, the way dude, I do it. Probably a good thing, dude, to have that foundation. Well, it's totally. You can't right? afford a $15,000 CNC machine. <laughs> That's ill. It's ill that you were, like, you know, willing to go that extra mile and harass him and, and go up to, like, and be like, yo, take, teach like, me. On the side. I want to know, know more. Um, and he was, and he's an amazing builder as well. So if I had questions, if something came across, where I was like, "Man, I don't know how to do that," I could take it to him and be like, "Oh, totally, I'll show you how to do this." Troubleshoot you know, that shit. Troubleshoot it, or be like, "Hey, it's wired classically this way for these reasons." Um, and then I started working at Guitar Center and Repairs. So which, which Guitar Center in Hollywood? The, oh, that's on Sunset. Sunset. Yeah, so yeah, the okay. Mothership the one. one. Yeah, it's the only one I've gone to. There, so right. So they have a big repair room. It's not a, like a little desk you would see in any other Guitar Center. They have a full-on repair shop where we had four guys working because um, we had so many repairs coming in because we have all those artists. Yeah. Um, and then I left there to go on tour with the Jacksons right when they reunited after Michael died. So I went from Ooh. Death Punch to being what Tio a, what and Jermaine that, and yeah, Marlon dude. and Jackie's You tech. know what's funny, man? That's like a wild transition. Uh, when you transition genres in, in music like it's a whole different environment you're going into and a lot of people don't people are like I'm staying They're staying, I'm staying metal. metal I'm staying the whatever it is you know pop whatever I got boys who only do EDM yeah. it's the cultural differences are so crazy the the environment's different the crew the way everything goes and I was, you know, the only crew at that time I had toured with was Death Punch. So you didn't really have much to contrast. It to. I had nothing to compare. It was. I just thought how that's how touring was. How oh, was it was that? amazing going, and all of a sudden I'm with Motown. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, wow. And the people that would come to see him were like legends. Like I got to meet Ray Parker Jr., The Ooh. Roots. Oh, these people coming like backstage, coming backstage, just hanging out. Oh, yeah, I was fucking. We awesome. were at the Apollo for what would have been Michael's fiftieth, and the Apollo brother in, in, New in New York, and it was their first time performing there as a group in like thirty years. <laughs> Uh, so everybody showed up. Oh, and, sure. Dude, and that just, place gets crazy. Guests. Oh, it's and it's tiny. Yeah, super tiny. There's no dude. place to escape. So I'm just downstairs having my lunch, and all of a sudden, you know, Ray Parker Jr. is sitting in front of me, going, "Hey, bro, what's up?" Crazy. And I had no idea who he was. They're just sitting crazy. there rapping about different stuff, and then you know, you heard him, and you don't see him and shit. You don't know. Yeah, you know what he looked like. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, someone's like, "Oh, you know, hey, you mean Ghostbusters?" And he's like, "Oh, I was like, holy shit, you seen Ghostbusters?" That's fucking nuts. Dude. <laughs> That's the thing with like older artists that came before the the video era. Yeah. Some of my favorite artists from the '60s and '70s, and even some in the '80s. I, I know all their shit. I wouldn't know what they fucking look like. Maybe you have them on vinyl or you saw that face. You but saw that their was face on 20, vinyl, 30, yeah. 40 years ago. You show me now, I would fucking no idea who you are, dude. But I know all your shit. Yep. So, um, but that was an amazing experience. I love working with Motown people. It's And you 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 uh, tour or do gigs uh, for Stevie. Right? Then, Stevie yep. Wonder. I do Stevie Wonder. Um, and that's, I can't even begin to talk about how dude, amazing Stevie. that is. Bro, I have uh, like pictures. So, my father, um, I grew up in the Caribbean, the West Indies, before we moved to America. My father owned a nightclub restaurant. 
on the island of Montserrat in the 70s this dude George Martin had George Martin Air Studios big recording studio Stones are coming down fucking like Elton John Paul McCartney solo even Aerosmith like everyone's coming down and uh, they would go to my father's club to hang out maybe whatever partake in things have some drinks and also play music with some of the local artists and bands whether they were like West Indian or American smaller acts my pops would bring down and new and whatever hang out so I have pictures as a baby like hanging out with all these dudes at the house and shit we have pictures of Stevie playing the piano in our house and all this shit I just recently heard a CD my father played me of like Stevie Wonder playing at his like a live at his club from like the like the late 70s and I never heard it I'm fucking you know 30 something and he just played it for me recently on CD he was fucking ill because I knew a couple of the guys that were my father's friends like were you know, backing him up and shit. Yeah. But it was just ill to hear like a live Stevie at his club, and it was it was crazy. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. We did uh, a show recently, and he went into like a 15, 20 minute Michael Jackson jam. Just doing really, it was yeah, like just tribute style. Just kind of just went into it and started doing it, and the band just had to keep up. What's your favorite Stevie Wonder song? If I could ask you, <sighs> or one that jumps off in your brain right now. I mean, there's always superstitious. Just My band, we used it, to cover that. It's like just such bit. an iconic song. Um, you know, Sunshine's also an amazing song. It's just that guy has a, a singer-songwriter. He's amazing. Do you know it's on, a, I think it's on Talking Book, the song Big Brother. It's a quiet, really quiet song on an album that's like famous for a lot of other records. It's a quiet song, but it's like a super political one, basically just talking about like, you know, Big Brother, like, you know, surveillance and fucking the bigger government and voting and shit. Right. I, know, I like it because it's a... It's a Stevie Wonder song not a lot of people will ever think of and it's sonically a little like chiller and different. It doesn't have as many dynamics and funky but I love it. I just love the the vibe. Right. Yeah, that's what he creates. It was in a skateboard video also when I was young and I was used to hearing the record at the house and then I saw it in this, uh, this skate shop FTC from San Francisco put out this great video. I was like 14 and that was in one of them. I'm like, oh shit, mom plays that record. I love that. So then I liked it more. Skateboard videos always did that for me because they had music of all different genres. Here shit I, I knew or heard in the house or shit I didn't know about. Like I, That's how I learned about certain like things like metal and other shit that weren't in my realm. Like punk and shit weren't in my realm. That's like Beavis and Butthead for me. Yeah, well, that I, too. I yeah. learned of gore from Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, you know, like things that are a little before your time. And you, you go back and like, oh, that was cool. And you go get an album and you going back and like learning about these other things. I love doing that. I love discovering old shit and fucking getting into those catalogs. I love that old stuff. I feel like, I mean, I listen to new shit too, but I like listening to old shit or getting into that. And uh, I feel like a lot of kids a little younger than you are about the same age, like some of the younger kids I know, they don't go back and really listen to a lot of old shit. And and some do. I'm not shitting on you guys. But but like, I would love, like I found out about like this band, I wanted to rip through their whole fucking catalog. You know what I'm saying? And a new artist, like, you know, they have less of a catalog to run through. And it was fun. I would even buy books about that band or art and just read about oh, the history totally about Once it. I love something, I love it. And Dude, I, I and love I, it. I want to know all about yeah, it. Yeah, I want to know about what happened when they recorded this album. What was the climate like? What was the energy between the artists? Not just like their music shit but like everything dude, I loved reading about that shit dude yeah it's fun I have a lot of out. cool music books from yeah. that we're doing about There's, except for Clapton's book I only got halfway through because I didn't read that and, one oh, God. sad or slow it, it's more of at first it's fun because you know he's talking about like the Yardbirds and, yeah, and, the, earlier and, days. and the earlier stuff and that picture of you know Clapton is God with the dog pissing on the wall. Yeah. Um, but then after his his daughter dies, falling out the window, it's fucking so sad. So dude. sad. And then it gets into this whole religious thing because you know he, I didn't know he, he became super spiritual. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I remember like when Tears in Heaven came out. Like I was young, and my father would play it, and he explained it to me because I already like I knew Cream and all that shit. I'm like nine or ten at the time. 
He explained to me the song and I would listen. I'm like, God, this is a fucking sad ass fucking song, dude. And I'm hanging out with some homies like a couple weeks ago before this tour started. Dude, you're drinking. My first time drinking in a month. We're smoking, partying. And and my boy is a music dude. He's an audio dude. He, he knows everything. He throws on fucking tears in heaven. It's fucking midnight. Dudes are partying. And that great song. That's an amazing the song. The fuck? This is suicide. Talk music, about bro. a buzzkill, though. Yeah, yeah, dude. Come on, man. This is not the fucking time, dude. It was the acoustic one, too, the unplugged. Oh, I ver- love that version. And it's great, but I'm like, dude, I don't want to fucking kill myself oh, right now, dude. Yeah. Like, Bonnie Vare is a great suicide music or some shit. I don't want to listen to it all the time, you know? It's like you're raging, and all of a sudden, Berlin comes on. Yeah. You're like, who's dude, the Top Gun fan? Music <laughs> is, is great because there's, there's music for different times, different emotions, different moods. Yep. But sometimes I don't want it. Sometimes in the morning, I don't want to jump into fucking heavy, crazy shit, you know? I don't listen to heavy, crazy shit almost at all. Aaron and I, I were, in, work in it. we were in London the other day, Wembley Arena, and uh, you know you're setting up your shit, getting tuning guitars, doing your work, and I walk by, he's got a uh, Hall and Oates playing, love and Hall. then I came by a few months later, I forget who it was, but it was in the same vein, which I love, I love that shit, and we're at a fucking metal show, and you got to listen to metal all night and wild shit, so it's refreshing. When I, I think I was rocking shit. Bobby Brown. Bush fucking Boston, Roxbury Zone, which I love. And you got to work for Bobby Brown, right? No, no I didn't tripping? get to do Bobby Brown. He you was, met him or some shit? He was rehearsing at Center Staging. Oh, where, that's where what I work. And then uh, I was just having lunch, and then I could hear him. I was like, oh my God, is that Bobby Brown in the rehearsal yeah, I, studio? I would love to meet that dude As, on some Boston shit, like just to fan out for a second. And I have a lot of friends who you know met him and took pictures or whatever. I would love to just like fan out for two seconds and get a photo. Yeah, right. I don't really fan out ever. I don't want to be like, yo, can we take a photo? I'm not that dude, but I would do that with Bobby Brown on the strength. Wild times. I would if I wasn't at work. You could probably get fired for that work. Well, yeah, yeah. Because I got my different. work shirt on and then everybody knows me there. Yeah, that's different. Yeah, and that looks corny too. That always looks silly. You know, yeah. like, I, hey, I, bro. It's funny when you, when you, when you end up working for some artists that are huge, you know, Grammy winners, fucking legends, or platinum dudes, or the top guy of the Billboard charts at the time, whatever it is, you get like desensitized because you're working and you don't. Especially if it's not someone you are a huge fan of. Even, even though they're legend, Yeah, I treat them like fucking people, people. And I do my gig. And then it affects me elsewhere when I, if I was to encounter an artist I do look up to because I'm still like, hey, fucking people. Like, they're just people. Yeah, and that's what they want because they want to be treated like a person, not like you know a rock star. Well, yeah. maybe some rock stars want to be treated well, like a rock star. Yeah. Most of the time, it's like the first part. They do want to get treated like people. And my job, especially like on the tour shit, I deal with the artist directly. I'm in the fucking dressing room. I'm with them every day. So I treat them like, whatever, dude. You know, like, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm cool. I don't care. I'm not here fanning. I don't want your autographed shit to sell on the side. I'm just, hey, dude, you know, I treat them chill and it works out better. Our relationship is cool. Yeah. I've seen some people who are like uh, production assistants or production coordinators who really have to deal with the artists yeah. and get them all their shit. And very few times that I've seen it where they're like almost too fanned out and they like always want to be with the artist and they're fucking eh. at their heels yeah and yeah. it looks a little clingy and the artist is like yeah this fucking like, can you me. get them out of you know? here yeah. and yeah. I mean I don't even know who I would fan out on that's alive still it's like a very small amount you know oh, man who would I can't even <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd probably fan out on uh, I'd, I'd probably fan out I wouldn't fan out on Stevie but I mean I, I have so much respect you can't even get close to him. I can't even yeah. get close to him. You know, he's so well guarded. I maybe I'd fan out on like David Gilmore or Roger Waters. That, not even too hard. I mean, I, I love him, but I wouldn't be like, oh my God. I would just be like, oh man, it'd be cool to have a picture. Um, yeah, well, a lot of people I would fan out on are dead. Yeah, I unfortunately. Can't even, I can't even think of it because now it's just, you know, when you're in the industry, it, it, kill, it kills that uh, aspect of it. It kills it, the fan aspect. Yeah. And you're just ready to work, which is probably good. It humanizes it's, it, I'd too. rather be around a bunch of people that 
treat the artists like you know just people versus oh my god I can't believe I'm on this tour right now yeah. blah, 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 and like when I'm, I'm bringing fans on stage and people that are like oh my god like blah 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 is eight feet away and they're fucking going nuts and they're going asking nuts. me did you get X Y and Z from them and they want to take photos and I'm around this motherfucker every day not that I, I don't care but I I, I don't he's just another guy to me you know it's yeah. like all good I see him living his normal life so big fucking deal you know? I don't need to take pictures and post it online it, I would have probably fanned out around Prince if I ever got to see him live and I regret that man I fucking regret never getting to see Prince dude yeah, I never saw Prince either Are you, do you like Prince? of course okay I, why do I, I play, don't know I play guitar well, I mean dude some people fucking don't acknowledge how incredible of a he musician was, and artist he, he is as maybe an artist the, maybe he, the best he was best. absolutely amazing I'm not in love with his whole catalog you know, just just like Joe Bonamassa, I'm a huge fan of his. But I there's some albums where I'm like, yeah. Meh. Well, when you have a, a catalog that is that extensive, you're not going to have everything's not going to be classic. Yeah. You're going to have some filler. You're going to have some years and some things that not going to live up. No, nope. but, but it's, he, that's anybody with that long of a career, dude. Yeah, because you're trying to stay creative and you're like, yeah, and I just stuff, don't and you want to channel it. your shit, do different shit. You might like write like Prince, you know, more staying the time, fucking Sheely, all that. He wrote all their shit recorded all the musical parts of it in the studio himself you know he didn't do the vocals but he he did so much more than his own shit people don't realize he's yep. a fucking genius dude and uh you know I love Michael Jackson too and people always do the the Prince Michael thing and uh you know you don't have to say one's better than the other whatever Jake the Snake personal preference okay, I like Prince I'm a Prince dude see I'm an MJ people but it's to me but they're, they're both fucking incredible to dude. me they're, they're different they're two totally they're different. different genres thanks they're different kind of artists they're too. totally different artists they're very. I, uh, it's like people arguing who's the greatest guitar player. Okay, well, of what style yeah, yeah, of music? Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Or dudes do that with drummer shit, and you know they'll throw up a lot of classic rock drummers, and then you're like, well, what about some of these jazz drummers? Or a classic rock drummer who was trained as a jazz drummer? It's a whole different fucking it, skill set. You know? Yeah, it's it's insane. It's so fun, it's yeah. yeah, it's just what's well, that? It's art. It's it's taste. It's not sports. It's not fucking stats. It's, it's like wine. It's subjective. Yeah, exactly. And that's like that's what I love about art that I didn't like about sports as a kid. You know, there was definitives. You know who the best pitcher is. You know who the best quarterback is. The wrestler, whatever. There's stats. Yep, stats. Art. Yeah, you can say, well, this guy sold the most albums, or this guy's career has been around the longest. But it's all like, what what hits you right? What do you like? There's guys who sold the most albums who are fucking talentless shitheads. You know. Um, See, now who's better, LeBron or Michael? I, I, I like, Le, I'm not even going to hate, LeBron's a fucking in, uh, uh, anomaly. He's, he's Total anomaly, ridiculous. but who's got more rings? Michael. Yeah, and how did Michael get his rings? And like, you know, the, 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 the quality of that. And she, I mean, Michael was a fucking playing with a flu and like a high uh, fever and crushing shit. And he's a legend, dude. He, he paved the way in so many ways. He changed the culture. But LeBron's a beast also. But, but LeBron Michael also around. had teammates that were also epic. Yes, and LeBron last year had uh, no teammates and, and carried but himself and he carried the whole team all the way. They didn't, you know, they got to where they got, and that's exhausting on your own. And you need, yes, you see, like Jordan had some teammates, had and teammates. there's coaching and there's bouncing around. But then some dudes would be like, "Well, LeBron left Cleveland and Miami for a ring, and then he went back, and then he got a ring, and he left there, and you know, I mean, it's like money, dude. It's fucking money." You can't get mad at these guys for bouncing around on teams, dude. It's a business. Like, get mad about someone wants to pay me 150 million dollars to go play for two years. Fuck yeah, fuck yeah, man. Like, no nobody who plays for the team is generally from the same city. Rarely does that. Sometimes, rarely does that happen. So, like, don't expect them to be super loyal anyway. They're gonna have to move their family somewhere else. You know what I'm saying? They're gonna do what they do for that city at the time, and then they're gonna go to this place, and then they're loyal there. You know, they might retire there. This is true. Boston is like a 
very like you know bitter city with fan shit like that. So when sometimes when players leave or get traded, they're shunned forever. They're, oh, they're God. It's boo- but there's been a few in recent years where like in the Celtics, Paul Pierce and uh, and Isaiah Thomas. Like you know, well, well, Pierce retired, but then like whatever, like love them. They're not even from Boston. You come back, it's still love. We respect you. Did so much for us. It's all good. But sometimes it's like, well, fuck you. You went over there. Like it's <laughs> and like yo, it's fucking sports, dude. This is fucking sports. Gives a shit. It's just sports. It's funny, funny times, man. So with like the fucking Mercier guitars, dude. What um, I'm wearing a very very fancy Mercier guitar. It's shirt. very, it's very soft. It feels glows in the dark too. It fits me well too. It's not bulky and weird and shit like that. I'm very that. particular about my shirts. I did my first order of shirts were kind of... Uh, it glows in the dark. Yeah. It glows in the dark. Oh, my shit glows in the dark. Do you do that purposely? Oh, yeah, because I, like, so so I do so many glowing inlays. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like my niche. You gotta, you, you gotta, I would love to get a couple of pictures of some recent inlays so I can post this yeah, shit. Totally. Yeah, totally. Grab all you need. What's... Have you... You do them for, uh, like, Anybody like famous or well known usually? Sure. But yeah, I have a couple famous can clients. You, and can then you mention it, that shit. That's sorry, uh, right. I don't. I don't want to put you out there. Uh, Bubbers. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, I guess that I did that one for Willie just recently, of you know the Bubbers party zone. Oh, that was for Willie. Yeah, that one's crazy. Yeah, let's hear you. Plays it. That's a fucking. That's rad his fancy show guitar. Song. Yeah, that was about ninety hours of work. And then some of the clients are just like everything fans from. Just huge uh, I just did one for Jason Sinead. Um, who plays with Mike Campbell from Tom Petty? Who's yeah. in the, they play in the Dirty Knobs together, um, and then he has his own band. Um, who Bruce Watson from Foreigner plays with him. So he Good does boy. this. He loves Jerry Garcia, and uh, <laughs> and he does this thing with his band where they go out and they do dead shows. Essentially, they just play Jerry Garcia songs. Like dead covers. Uh huh. Um, so I took his uh, his original G and L, which was his f- for a while only his only guitar while he was going to Berkeley. Um, and uh, I did uh, the Jerry Garcia numbers that are on one of his guitars. These just big block oh. numbers. They're known. And then these Howling Wolf inlays that are on another guitar. Sounds bad. And then Jerry Garcia, I didn't know it until I did the inlay, but he's missing uh, his middle digit. He's like, like Tommy Ioni from like Sabbath right. and so shit. So his brother had accidentally cut off his finger when they were kids with an axe. I didn't know that until I saw shit. the handprint. So I did that's the handprint times. of that that's really famous, but I did it in Glow. Oh, so the one dope. through five, no one through seven numbers are the numbers. On the ninth fret is the Howling Wolf, and then at the twelfth position is the handprint. That's kind of a wild thing. Yeah, it was rad. Especially the guitar or bass players are missing uh, digits on their fucking hands. <laughs> you got to give them some extra props in, in terms of playing and shit like that. That's, it's all power chords. That's crazy shit, dude. Yeah, or like <laughs> fucking drummers with no arms and right. all that shit, dude. It's a wild. It's relearning a wild thing. their craft. Yeah, dude. Or if yeah, if you if you learned with it and lost it then it's you get, crazy uh, yeah i imagine maybe it's easier if you like learned without this i right? think so yeah because you have no it's like the guy who's born blind has no idea of what it was like to have sight you go blind in like 25 it's like fuck uh, it fucks your mental up you know now you knew what the color blue looked like now you have no idea before you had to just guess you're yeah, just like blue yeah that looks like uh i have no idea because i don't see it's crazy the blind shit are there blind guitar players uh, what's his name? Uh, Jeff Healy. Oh yeah, yeah. That's I mean, like a lot of blind piano players are famous and shit like that. I don't know why. If, I mean, I guess anything blind is fucking. But impossible. he he I played the guitar on his lap on its back. Yeah, that's and like that's a steel wild guitar. Times. That's wild times. You play, like, goddamn people with like missing a sense. Like Heightened anytime I complain or some shit like that, those motherfuckers are ill because it heightens all the other mm-hmm. ones, dude. And they just get fucking exceptional in those other realms. It's crazy times, dude. If you had to lose one sense, Aaron, what sense would you lose? 
Uh, my sense of smell. Same. That's like immediate. Not that I don't want to know what smells good or bad. I want to see. I want to hear. I, I want to taste, taste. And I want to, I guess, feel. The only way you could, that's a sense, right? Oh, yeah. Cause I guess you wouldn't, you have to be like paralyzed to not feel, right? Or Right. Know. So if you uh, get in, like, say, a bad motorcycle accident and then, you know, you have part of your, you know, cord severed, oh, and, you know, you could be you know, quadriplegic. No more feeling. That's, I'm not scared of dying at all. I'm scared of being, being a vegetable. Paralyzed. Yeah. That's freaks me out. That fucking, that scares the shit out of me, dude. Like, not even being a vegetable, just being like, you know, no legs. Uh, I don't think it's that bad because my buddy uh, Calhoun, he uh, this is an army. He's a guy. He, so he's. I also belong to a motorcycle club, which I'm retired out of because Can we say that we'll sure wingman MC. Um, so we're pretty decent sized three piece club, but uh, we have a patch holder that lost his legs in combat, and then since then has become a Paralympian, and has won Olympic medals. Uh, for this, you know, for uh, the Paralympics. Yeah, he he lost one leg. Both legs. Both legs. From like what, the knees? Uh, yep, from the knees down. And so he's got, you know, he's got his little. God damn, dude. Fucking um, God bless the strength of some people, dude. Like, I sound like a bitch whining about it. And you God, know what? He, he never, ever, ever complains about it. He's the raddest dude ever. Um, you know, motivation to the core, does all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Dude, like, uh, it, like I, I've been to the gym and I've seen dudes in like wheelchairs are extremely disabled, missing limbs, fucking pumping iron. Getting at it. I'm like, you know what? I can't fucking complain about shit right now. I, you know, I'm gonna get at it. Like this motherfucker's out here getting at it. That's why uh, I can't whine. It's you know, it's kind of the same sense. Why I'll never complain on tour. I, yeah, I know. I'll never ever complain because you know what? Nobody's shooting at me. Yeah, you you've been through something so much worse. So much, so worse. much worse. Even the worst day that we, you know, the rigs might not be working and. You know, guitars are going out of tune for some crazy reason, and you know people are getting pissed at me. Yeah, you got a fucking uh, what do you call shells coming in? in yeah, no, we're not taking mortars. We're not. Yeah, mortars, we're not. That's the word. I was we're not for. going on convoys and worrying about IEDs. And, and complaining it's, on tour is a. Uh, it's kind of common. It's more like at the end of the day, everyone's on the bus and they talk about how hard their day was. Like this was tough. This was tough, and they bitch about it. They kind of like get it out and therapeutically, and they go back to work. And I've 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 bitched, I've had days where I'm like fuck this shit. But if you do get to stop and slow yourself down. Depending what your life experiences are like, otherwise you'd be like, dude, fucking chilling. I'm in this state or this country. I'm on tour. I don't have a boring Monday nine to five or like oh, go in like a fucking. I can talk how I talk. I can dress how I dress. I don't have to change anything, and I get this fucking incredible experience. It might be a hard day, but a hard day could be way worse. Yeah, in a, other situations. A hard day of what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I had experiences in my life before I started touring. You know, I started, there was a lot of dudes with this, like, tough fucking exterior. Everyone would like, be, like, super tough. I'm like, dude, this is fucking chill, dude. You guys are, like, a fucking, you know, punk music or you hardcore music. You tour, like, make fucking deal, dude. I, I, it's crazy shit. I, I'm glad I'm here right now. Not that I was in the combat, but other things. All right, any any yeah. kind of perspective. Yeah, crazy shit. Where it makes shit. you I, appreciate I, I everything you know, else. Almost was in jail before I uh, was on the road touring, and, you know, for a long time. That yeah. would have been in prison. And, like, all these other things. And uh, it makes me thankful to be out here. Take it less for granted. Obviously, there's times, but you got to check yourself. But And then I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to complain. And this doesn't intimidate me. Oh, a tough loading or a shitty crowd or like psycho dudes backstage or some tough fucking, you know, crew dude. Like, oh, you're a tough dude, but you just like work for some bands or this and that. Like, fuck out of here. Yeah, and go for you, I mean. That's go push crazy. that case. I don't care. Yeah, exactly, dude. It's funny. And like, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, like a dude like, a dude, like yourself or anyone who's you know, had these experiences, you're not going to be that fucking aggressive guy yelling at 
other crew members or stagehands are flexing as hard because you don't need to because this is chill for you. You don't need this to. This is chill for you compared to and the then, other shit, dude. And, and this, a lot of people ask me how I get you know some of these really awesome gigs. And it's really just networking. Solid networking and and being somebody that people want to be around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good because, reputation. Oh, he's because funny, he's this cool. whole thing is the hang. Because you're the around motherfuckers all tight the, quarters. All the time. All, day. all the time. And if you're, you know, one of those uptight guys or you just or like just a bitch a lot and you're miserable to be Even around. If you're good at your, I've seen guys who are better at the job, but miserable or whiny or like no one wants to be around them. I've seen them get swapped out for yeah, somebody who you, maybe a little less good, but better way to better around. to hang with, you know, which you makes know, sense in the long run. You're not going to get the gigs or, you know, yeah. these guys be like, Hey, you know, I'm off this tour. Can you recommend me? For, and I recommend guys for gigs all the time. Yeah. Um, but if I don't think you're a good hang, yeah, I'm not recommending you. And I've had people call me and ask me, "Hey, the, we're we're thinking about this person for a gig. You've you've toured with you. You know what do you think? And if it's someone I can truly vouch for, because that's my word. It's your it's name is word. all you. And got. not only is it my word, it's going to affect their tour, possibly a tour I'm on. So I'm not going to say anything other than the truth. If it's somebody I can vouch for, then I love to vouch for. Them. But it, you know, there's been times I'm like, cool person, maybe you know. They're good otherwise. My experience with them was this. And this could be a problem for you or the tour. Or like, you know, this is the way they are. Yep. Not hating. You asked me and this is an important thing. It's not like I'm ratting you out or the other person, but this is a job thing. You know, they're asking my recommendation for someone. I'm not going to put my word out there and make it bullshit. Especially if it's going to be somebody I don't want to be around my damn self, you know? Exactly. So. And if you recommend somebody and they end up sucking... You might not even get called. Yeah, so back. now they they look at you like, well, his judgment sucks. His word is is worthless, and uh, we should fire him as well. Yep. you know what I'm yep, saying. Yep, like, yep, it's, it's funny. It's, it's, it's funny all... how that goes, man. But it's important, dude. Like you can't just go out on a limb for everybody. So dude. it's you know, be awesome at whatever your task is, but be chill and humble, and you know, and, yeah, and you know, because everybody's got road stories. I don't give a shit about yours. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, dude. I don't. Yeah. I don't care what you Thank did you. with what band and what year. Yeah, and those are their war. Their war stories, but you actually have war, war stories. stories. Yeah. So it's like fucking dwarfs their shit. And you're right? just like I don't. I don't care that you were with that band. I was with all these other bands, but you don't see me yeah, fucking. Yeah. It's it was like what you said before. It's name dropping. It's name dropping. It, it, it's it's to puff yourself up or to like. Look how decorated look, I am. Look how right? cool I am. Right? I'm sure like in the army there was dudes like, well, look at these medals or look at these tours. That it, it's like the same thing in music. It's like, it's like this is what I did. Like It's right. like showing Look how awesome I am. It's your resume in a weird way. I mean, when I but, first got in the industry, right, I'll admit that, yeah, I was I was that guy for a while because I'm brand new. I'm course, fresh out of the you, army. And you want to assert yourself and be like, look, I ain't a pushover. I ain't a push. I ain't going to be yeah. no bitch. Yeah, because you don't. And you see that happen sometimes. Right. So you got to be like, nah, I ain't a bitch. Look where I came so, from. So, yeah, I Fuck used to you. I used to wear my military service on my sleeve. And then when I had a couple acts, you know, on my resume, I would name drop that. You know, when I first got out from we Death Punch, it was like, oh, when I was with Death Punch, oh, when I was with Death Punch. But that was the only experience I had. Yeah. And, and then eventually somebody's like, look, bro. We don't give a fuck that you're with Death Punch. This is a totally different scenario. Yeah. And you're like, you know what? You're right. It's funny. Like, yeah, some dudes are there with like a, a legendary large act they did a tour with. You know, some some iconic thing, and they're like, that's their reference point. And like, I get it. That that's a certain level of production work. But even if you're working small club gigs to the big arenas, you're kind of all still doing the same gig. You know, you and, I even think the smaller clubs are harder than the arena. Yeah, gigs. You, you, there's less um, less space. Well, less space, but like. Less frills. I don't know if that's a word. It's less smooth. It's less, less sweet. Less smooth, yeah. You're not as pampered. 
Yeah. You know what I'm oh, saying? Yeah. The pamphlet. Uh, it's, nice. it's not as comfortable. And it is nice. And it's awesome. And that makes you feel easy. There's the poor guys who have rougher gigs and Yeah, shit. doing like when I do gore, I do the whole back line. And then I also run the spew. I'm helping with costumes. It is insane. I bet. Uh, but it's also one of my favorite gigs. What's the blood they squirt? It's just water and food coloring. Uh, uh, like uh, fruit, like fructose corn syrup, right? No, it's just food coloring. No, oh. I remember like I made fake blood for some shit before. I used like red food coloring and like corn syrup. To you make, can do that to, to make, make it more like thick. The thick so, and, and the real. so well, we have a couple of different things we do. So like the blood bags. Uh, which like if you see someone come up and then like they smack a guy and blood splats like on out, some wrestling shit. That's, yeah, that's that's a little plastic bag with we use movie blood mixed in with some other stuff to dilute it a little bit so it's not as thick. Uh, but that shit's so hard to get off. But that's the rest it. of it is just we we know how big our water tanks are and then how much to put in so you don't make it too dark or too light. You know Dude, we have different colors and these are like. Pee on the crowd back in the day. Is that what the thing? Dave no. Brocky? Oh man. People. Um I was I thought I saw a picture in a skate mag when I was like thirteen or twelve of like a girl in the band crew. I don't even know. I don't know. But she was in the you know, the time on stage, yeah. like girl peeing out, like, you know, leg raised, held like peeing on stage. Oh no, that shit. that would probably be a gag. So more than likely she had a hookup up to her and they were doing fake pee. Oh, okay. Um, I could see the band not being called back to that venue. If, you know, that's <laughs> my mother like always likes to brag about it. She's like, I got peed on my Jim Morrison. Oh, yeah. Like it's a fucking... But, you know, you never know because Gore back in the day was... You know, wow, like times. Crazy. That's what I'm saying. In, in, in skate mags and shit, I would see them and like I didn't really know their shit. Maybe I'd heard a song or two in a video, but you'd always see like images and pictures and Thrasher and Transworld and shit. And you know, the shit you hear it was crazy, like crazy about their live shows and all the wild shit. Like know? Dave Valley. You know, he's one of those guys in the skate era who was notorious for fighting everybody. Oh, Mike, wait, Mike, Mike, Mike Valley, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dude, he yeah, was Mike like Valley. the huge, he would fight the security guards. He'd, he'd fight in, everybody. In venues, on the street spots. He and then you like, meet him and he's like the nicest yeah, dude. Yeah, he's like family man, like yeah. chill dude. But he was like the dude who like would take it up on arms, like I'm going to fight on behalf of security Did you just disrespect my friend? Dude, he would do that. He would fight security guards, vet, everybody. Like, contest the people, like other dude, like skate, anybody. He was a wild dude, wild dude. I seen that I, skating. I I seen kids and shit like that. I mean, I at times had probably you know got in the face of some kids, mostly roller, rollerbladers, but even young skater kids and shit here. Oh, he's getting tons of fights. Yeah. Well, uh, you get like when you get better in skateboarding, it's like there's a weird period, right? Like you're you're not a grommet. You're better, so you get a little cocky. and You want to talk shit, then you get even better than that, and you humbled back down. Kind of like music and shit, where you're like, I don't need to be that aggressive. I'm chill. But there's that period where you are good enough, and you can like. You know, other kids recognize it, so you can kind of boss up and like you know, like whatever yep. and shit. And 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 in, the, in that moment, you're like, fuck yeah, this I'm is cool. The man. Then you get a little older and better, and you're like, that was stupid. I was being juvenile, and I can be chiller and cooler to these younger dudes because I was that kid. You know, I was that fucking scared little skater kid at the spot, scared of like the older cool dudes. You know, um, I remember like I were getting like chased, not by like skaters, but by like jock dudes or older kids with cars and weird shit like skateboarding wasn't cool when I was young like it was it wasn't you know, cool but I I mean exactly. I skated for years and years and years in the non-cool days now it's cool and it's and, cool and now safe. but I was also considered a jock because I was you know captain of the wrestling team but I didn't associate myself with the jocks so I kind of was able to navigate yeah, both, both worlds, worlds but I wouldn't let any of those jock douchebags fuck, fuck with the skaters That's or the cool. goths That's cool. or any of the other kids that I were considered you know that that weren't That's part cool. of their element like I I was not cool with that at all That's so cool. if I saw someone get picked on I'd get in their face hell yeah well I mean that that's a rare um, 
entity. Like someone. I used like to get uh, suspended from school all the time for defending kids. Hell yeah. From teachers. You know, if oh. I felt a teacher was being out of line, I'd be like, you're out of fucking line, oh, you shit. know? And she'd like, you can't talk to me like that. And well, I just did, oh, you know? Fucking teachers. They get some, some teachers have uh, masochistic streaks. You know, that's why you get in a position like that where you can. Oh, yeah. Position power. of power. I mean, some are cool, but some are fucking dicks. You see that with everything. It's usually like new teachers. Older yeah. teachers are kind of like, meh. Yeah, you've been there. Like, you've been there. Wears off. Just dude. like the military, as soon as you get rank, you're like, I'm going to smoke the shit out of every single one of you. you know, you're all dead. Like the day I made corporal, I was like, you push, you push, you push. I don't have to give you a reason. Just push. I just wanted to, to flex my muscles. And then, yeah. you know, once I became a staff sergeant, I was like, you know, yeah, you guys you, you, just. It wears off a little bit. Go to the motor pool, dry sweep, whatever needs to be dry sweeped. I'm going to do all these stupid counseling statements and I'll just do when I'm ready. <laughs> Yo, what's the most recent uh, tattoo you got? Um, let's see now. Uh, my stage right crew, the SRC. Oh, that, that the Lamb of God the stage Lamb right of God crew shit. When did you right get crew? that? Uh, some off day. It was like after, re- like last summer. On the yeah, the second run because oh, I had shit. I had to earn it off the first run. That's pretty cool, dude. That shit, um, you guys always do that, like your little uh, ritual every yeah, day. Yeah, 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 where we cool. jerk each other very off. Cool. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's very cool because like people on the side of the stage when they see that, like, oh, what are they doing? I was like, that's their, that's their thing. That's their it's to remind us that this is just silly having, dick games. It's having fun. fun, dude. Fucking playing music, You're doing what you like to do. playing a guitar for a living. Yeah, dude. It's like having a blast, doing what you love, making D- others happy. Don't come Get to me paid. and tell me you hate your job. Yeah, dude. No way, dude. There's some shitty job. What's the shittiest job you ever had, Aaron? Uh, I've only really had a couple jobs, but all of them were long. I think some of the shitty parts were like when you're deployed... Um, we'll build shitters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then cut 55-gallon drums, you know, cut into thirds. Then we have the two top and bottom, flip them over, and then you slide them in the outhouses that we've built, and oh. then everybody poops and shits in that. That's the worst And then job. you got to pull it out, yeah. and then you fill it with diesel. That's get, the worst Get a picket ever. stick, and, you know, you got you to gotta get rid of that stuff. So, that's, you know, shit hey, burner. Hands down, I'm not even going to share my shitty jobs because that's the worst job. So That's shit. the fucking worst job. That was pretty crappy. That's pretty crappy. I got to go take a poop.